You're listening to the Presence Pioneers Podcast. When you pray, pray like this, our Father. And, of course, went on to share the Lord's Prayer, which is an incredible prayer, and we could spend hours dissecting it and learning about it and understanding it. And I encourage you to pray it regularly and to do that. But I want to zero in on this idea of our Father. Corey Russell says this. He says, when most believers think of prayer, they think of their list. But Jesus thought first of a person and then a place. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. A.W. Tozer says this, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Just let that drop for a minute. What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what comes to our minds when we close our eyes and try to approach God, when we close our eyes in worship, when we try to open up this word, what are we, what are we envisioning God to be like? What's, what's the truth of how we think God really feels towards us or believes us to be? What do we really believe about his nature and his heart? And Jesus wants us to know that he's a father, that when we come to him, that that's who he is and that's what he's like. And so I just have three points that I believe uh, can come out of just this simple phrase, our father, our father. Number one, when we pray to our father, it means that prayer is about a loving relationship. I think I have a slide that says that. Praying to our Father means prayer is about a loving relationship. If you have your Bibles, go to John 17. John 17. I grew up in church. I don't know if you guys grew up as Christians in Christian homes going to church, but I was classic 90s kid in youth group church culture. So I don't know if any of you guys were in that vein, but growing up, going to church, youth group, CCM, Christian music, the whole nine yards, all of that. I was just fully, fully immersed in it. I see a couple people smiling and nodding. So you guys are know exactly what I'm talking about in that church culture. Um, but growing up in church culture, there was one Bible verse that was probably the most popular Bible verse. It may still be John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but had everlasting life. So the idea was, okay, the most important thing, this was, this was not said explicitly, but this is sort of the mindset that I took on growing up in, in that culture, was the most important thing is getting saved so that one day you'll go to heaven and try to get as many other people saved as well so that they can go to heaven one day and they can also get people saved and you sort of just perpetuate that cycle. And so in my mind, when it says, God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life, I was thinking everlasting life somewhere down there one day when I die or Jesus raptures us or whatever. And I don't even believe in the rapture anymore. But um, <laughs> wait, that palm branch. No, <laughs> just playing. Um, So this idea of everlasting life and eternal life, I don't know why I even said that. Uh, that was not in my notes, but that was funny. Uh, everlasting life, right? God loves the world. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And I remember when I 
read John 17, verse 3, and how it totally shifted my paradigm and understanding of what everlasting life, what eternal life truly was. And John 17 is Jesus's prayer to the Father while he's on earth. It's the longest recorded prayer we have of Jesus. And um, here's what he says, starting at verse 1. Father, the hours come, glorify your Son, that the Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And now this is it. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And I said, wait a second. Eternal life isn't just the hope of heaven, although that's part of it, it one day, but it's knowing God. It's relationship with him. This is why Jesus came. This is why God so loved the world. He gave his only son, died on the cross, resurrected, came to the earth. Why? So that we could know him, so that we could have personal, intimate relationship with him. So when, when Jesus says, pray our father, he's helping us to know the, the kind of relationship he wants to have with us, that it's personal, that he's a father, that he loves us. And, uh, and, and it's about family and it's about knowing him and it's about loving him. And this, you know, even as a house of prayer, I know you guys are, are all about prayer and some of this might be uh, just a good reminder or even an affirmation. I know that so many of you love Jesus and are far more mature in the Lord than I am. So I'm honored to be able to share today. Some of you, this is just going to be an encouragement, but some of you, this might really be a revelation too of, wow, I hadn't thought about God that way. I, there's some things I don't understand about who God really is in his heart. But uh, I, having been in prayer ministry full time for over 15 years, I know that uh, what can happen is prayer can become functional more than relational. And we can try to use prayer to get things from God rather than try to know God. And we have to remember, we have to keep keep our hearts rooted in his love for us and our love for him. And that prayer above anything is our way of having a relationship with him. Right. We don't want to be about prayer. We want to be about him. Right. The prayer is just the way we interact with him. Right. Uh, if you're going to have a relationship with somebody, you're going to talk to them and they're going to talk back to you. And that's just how relationships happen. And so prayer is how we have relationship with God. And so when Jesus says, pray our father, he's inviting us into something. He's inviting us into. Um... Oh, oh, great. Thank you. The down one goes to the next slide. Oops. Where do I point it? Oh, beautiful. I don't remember exactly what, what was on all the, all the slides. So let's see. Oh, yeah, there we go. We'll go there next. <laughs> this is wonderful. So Jesus goes on in his prayer here in John 17, um, verse 24. Father, I desire, this is later on, he prays for his disciples, and then he begins to pray for us, all those who will believe in him through, through the apostles. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they who you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Now, psh, mind blown for a minute. It's real easy to let all those words go right by us. But what Jesus is praying for right here in John 17 is that we would experience the same love that the Father and the Son experience 
in the context of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, throughout all eternity, the Father has been loving the Son and the Spirit. The Son has been loving the Father and the Spirit. And the Spirit has been loving the Father and the Son. God is love. God is the only one that can be love because he's a Trinity. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit in himself, loving himself, (laughs) enjoying himself. There's community. There's family all within God himself in his very nature, in his very heart. And then what Jesus is saying is, Father, what I desire is that they, that us, would be in the middle of that. That's awesome. (laughs) That's crazy. That we would get to get caught up in that fellowship, in that fiery, explosive love that's in God himself, in his very heart. So Jesus says, pray our Father. He's saying, Father, I desire that they would be with me in, in this same love, that same love you have for me since the foundation of the world for all eternity. We have been loved, and I'm inviting them into that. So when we, we come into prayer, that's what, we're, <laughs> that's what we're getting invited into. We're getting invited into that furnace of affection and love and desire and delight and joy that's in God himself. That's amazing, and that's, that's what we're invited into. So, when we pray our Father, it's about loving, intimate relationship with Him. There we go. Number two, praying to our Father requires inner healing. So, this might sound great. (laughs) It may not. I don't know. But it might sound great. Okay, we get invited to come to our loving Father. But but here's the reality. When we say Father, that that phrase, that word, can come with a lot of baggage depending on our history, depending on our own fathers, depending on our experience and understanding what we've gone through in our lives. And so God wants to reveal himself to us, but that's going to require us to open our hearts to him and allow him to shine his light, to bring truth, to confront lies we've believed, to heal wounds we've received in our hearts so that we can really connect with him and receive his love in the way that he wants us to receive that. So, I mean, all of us, no matter what our family background is, we have wounds, we have hurts, we have offenses, we have things in our hearts we've picked up over the years, lies that we've started believing about God and about ourselves uh, because of these experiences that we've had over the years. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us, to show us the truth, to reveal what we really believe so that we can be healed and come into that intimacy, come deeper into the love that God has for us. So some of you, maybe your father was totally absent. Maybe some of you, your father was abusive. Maybe some of you, some of you your father was great. Even a great father is not perfect. And that's one of the bummers of being a parent is you know that you're not going to be perfect. You're going to wound your children at some point. You're going to hurt them in different ways. And ultimately, that they're going to have to relate to the, the perfect good father um, to experience to experience God's love. And we can try to represent that love the best we can, but ultimately we have to get that from him. And, uh, and so this is a journey I've been on for years and years and years. My parents were, like I said, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents were good. They weren't abusive. They were, they were there. They were present. They're still married today. And, uh, but even, even so, in my journey, I realized there were things I, that happened. There were moments in my childhood even where an interaction with, with a parent became an offense to me and, and began to color and shape the way that I approached God. And so I'll, just like a 
quick story just to welcome you into my therapy session here. Um, it's like there was this moment, me and, well, oh, so <laughs> growing up, um, my parents gave me and my brother spankings. I don't know how you guys feel about that. <laughs> but <laughs> there's palm branches. That's funny. And that's not the point of the story. So, but that's just, that's just, that's, that was just my experience. So they would get, my dad would get a ruler. And if we, if we, when we needed to be disciplined, he would spank us with the ruler. And uh, that w- we had one ruler that was like a heavy duty ruler. And along the edge, it had like this met piece of metal. So you could draw lines, you know. And, um, and there was one time that my dad grabbed that one and had spanked my brother and it like actually like cut his leg and it was like, like made us really upset. And, um, and so we were like, dad, can you not use that one again (laughs) when you spank us? And he, so he said, "I, I won't, I won't use that one anymore. Me and my buddy, we're, we're at the house and we're playing and we, um, are being stupid little boys and we end up breaking the window of the house and my dad gets mad and he grabs the ruler and he grabs that one and he spanks me and it seems like okay I and mean, he didn't cut my legs or anything he just spanked me because I was being a stupid kid and I broke the window and probably should have gotten a spanking <laughs> uh, but in that moment for me what what upset me was not that I got a spanking or that I broke the window what 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 wounded my heart was that he said he wouldn't do it, but then he did it anyway. And so I, not realizing I had done this, but even as a child, I began to realize, oh, wait, maybe I can't totally trust my dad. And then when I began to approach God, maybe I can't totally trust him. Maybe he's going to all of a sudden go back on his word. Maybe all of a sudden he's going to lash out. Maybe I'm going to make one too many mistakes and all of a sudden, psh, you know, there's going to be condemnation. So I began to believe these lies. Can anyone be trusted? Will anyone keep their promises? Will God keep his promises? Maybe he will if I'm good. I need to be perfect so I don't get hurt. If I sin too much, God will lose his temper. He'll get mad. He might hurt me. I need to put my guard up. I need to be suspicious. Maybe I shouldn't trust anyone too deeply because I might get, they might bite me in the back, et cetera, et cetera. So these are like, these are these mindsets and lies that start to form because of experiences. And there's others in my life and there's some in your life. And the Holy Spirit can come and bring healing to our hearts um, and begin to speak truth to us. So 1 Corinthians 10, there it goes. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 4 through 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is how we war against these lies and begin to enter into healing is the enemy brings lies, strongholds in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls, and we take them captive to the truth of the word of God and begin to believe what God says and how he's revealed himself to be to us. And so uh, I want you to go to Luke 15. Hey guys, this is Matthew. We'll get back to the episode in just a moment. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider joining Presence Pioneers Premium, our brand new subscriber community. Paid subscribers will get exclusive premium content such as bonus podcast episodes, exclusive articles, early releases, and more. 
Presence Pioneers will be releasing its first e-course in 2024 with many more to come. And the Presence Pioneers premium subscribers will always have full access to the entire library of online courses. Visit media.presencepioneers.org or click the link in the description to join today. You can become a premium member today for an introductory price of only $5 a month. When the price goes up in the future, as our library of resources grows, you can stay subscribed at the original price. If you've enjoyed our podcast for a while, becoming a premium member is a simple way for you to help us cover the cost of producing this podcast and partner with Presence Pioneers in equipping the church with resources for day and night prayer, prophetic worship, missions, and revival. Visit media.presencepioneers.org to sign up today. I think the most beautiful picture of God as our Father that can begin to heal our hearts is this is the what's cl- classically called the prodigal son. And, you know, I think most Bible teachers don't like that it's called the prodigal son because it's about more than just the son. It's about the father and it's about his two sons. And it's a it's one of the most beautiful revelations we have, I, I believe, in Scripture of the heart of the father to us and his pursuit of us. Um. I'm going to just summarize the story. It starts at verse, verse 11. You guys probably have heard it a number of times where the, there's, the father has two sons. One son wants to get his inheritance early, and he goes off and, and spends it on lavish or prodigal living. And, you know, he's being rebellious. He's wasting his inheritance. He's in sin, and he runs out of his money. There's economic hard times, he ends up basically becoming a servant, a slave, working with the pigs, which was detestable for a Jew, you know, for a Hebrew. And, um, and so he's doing that. And then finally, he comes to his senses and says, maybe I should just go back home to my father and be a servant for my father because his slaves are in better shape than I am. So he, be, he finally decides to return home. And then in verse 20, as the son is returning home, here's what it says. I don't know if I have these verses in, in there or not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I don't. Okay. This is a good one too, though. But um, Luke 15, verse 20, says, He arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here, kill it, let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and and he is found. And they began to be merry. So this is the heart of our father. He pursues us. He loves us. No matter what we've done, no matter what mistakes we've made, no matter our sin, no matter our our mistakes, he pursues us in love. And uh, that rebellious son thought that he was going to have to earn his way back into the father's love and into the father's affection or maybe never earn his way back into it. 
um, but and just be a slave, just be a servant to his father. But this reveals the heart of our God, that he pursues us, that he loves us, that he's delighted to see us, that there's grace overflowing for us. And then there's the second son. So the the, young, the rebellious son is welcomed back into the house, and then the other son, who doesn't usually get as much attention, he's still working for his father, and he gets resentful because they're having this party celebrating the rebellious son, and so he stays outside of the house. But then it says in, in verse, um, it says verse 28, he was angry. This is the other brother. He was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. I love that. The father came out and pleaded with him. So I, I like to think of these two sons as the rebellious son and the religious son. So you've got, you've got the, the younger son. Um, well, before I say that, let me, just, let me just read the last couple of verses here. Verse 29, he answered, said to his father, Oh, many of these years I've been serving you, never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a goat that I could make merry with my friends. But as soon as your son came back, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. You killed the fatted calf for him. He said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. I want you to hear that verse. Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. This verse changed my life because I wasn't super rebellious, but I was super religious (laughs) and super full of pride and self-righteousness and didn't understand the heart of the Father and the Father's love for me thought I had to earn it and be self-reliant and work my way into his affection. And this verse, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours, was a revelation to me. So you have the son that was rebellious and you have the son that was religious. And the son that was rebellious had the heart of an orphan. And the son that was religious had the heart of a slave. And the rebellious son rejected the father's love, right, and went off to do his own thing. And the religious son thought that he had to earn his love. And either way, they, they did not really believe that God loved them. They did not accept the heart of the father. But he is a father who pursues us in love. He's a father who's patient with us. He is gracious. He does not condemn us when we come to him after a mistake. We do not have to earn our way back into his presence. Jesus has earned our way into the father's house for us. All we have to do is keep coming back to him. God is not far off. He's not disengaged. He's not too busy. He's not angry. God is not waiting for us to prove himself. He's not annoyed with us. He's not tolerating us. He's pursuing us. He likes us. He wants us. Amen. Some of out of the section of my book I'm working on related to this. But this is the heart of the father. He's eager for us to come to him. Jesus said this. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That's his heart. He wants to give. He wants to love. He wants us. He likes us. We're his sons, and we're his daughters, and he's a good, gracious, patient, loving Father. This is who he is. Now, for us to... Have that go from our head into our hearts requires a journey with the Lord, a journey with the Holy Spirit. And I encourage you, take some time with him and invite the Holy Spirit. Search me and know me, God. Expose any lies I've believed about who you are. Show me things in my past where I've been hurt 
where maybe I need to forgive, where maybe I need to, uh, where I've accepted wrong ideas about you because of the way someone treated me, or it's usually a, a parent or a father figure or a mentor or someone like that that wounds us at some points in our lives. Um, you may need to talk to somebody else or go to get some counseling or something like that as well. I've had a couple of sessions with people that do inner healing ministry, and it's actually been really helpful sometimes, especially for me because I'm very self-reliant, and so God used that to, to heal me and humble me because I needed to go to somebody else to help me to even uncover some of the lies I'd believe about him. Uh, another thing, I mean, these are very practical. God used for me is is certain worship music about the heart of the Father. I mean, if, I don't know if you guys know Jason Upton, but some of his old er, early music, I would literally lay on the floor, and he's singing about God as our Father, and I would just lay there and cry and get get healing and revelation, understanding of God as, as my Father. Um, there's some some great books. A guy named Jack Frost, I'd encourage you anything um, he's written is, is really good. So go on the journey of inner healing. Allow the revelation of the Father to come into your heart and uh, the lies of the enemy to be uncovered. Amen? Palm branches? All right. Um, last point here. <laughs> I realized I said amen, and you guys have the thing here. Uh, I'm not sure where I'm pointing this. Next, There we go. Last point here. Praying to our Father means we are sons and daughters. So we need a revelation of God as our Father, but what happens is... When we understand his heart and who he is, that changes how we understand who we are as his sons and daughters, as his kids. Um, and Jesus, even as, uh, as a man, had to experience this, right? When he uh, was about to enter into his earthly ministry, before he did, he was baptized by John the Baptist. And he comes, he gets baptized, he comes out of the water. What happens? It says, the Holy Spirit came on him like a dove. And then the voice of the Father, you are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus hadn't performed a miracle, preached a sermon, as far as we know, and he hadn't done anything public. There's nothing in the gospel stories about the amazing things Jesus had done that would have earned this affirmation from the Father. But he needed to hear in, in, in his flesh, you know, as a man, you are my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. I remember when my oldest daughter, Shiloh, was born, and uh, having kids really helps you to come into some of the, this understanding of God's amazing love. Yeah. Um, you know, she was, she's, she's born and in the hospital. She's laying there. She hasn't done a thing for us, right? She's totally helpless, totally dependent, totally needy, crying, um, you know, messy. And in that moment, I, I would do anything for her, give my life for her, you know, totally delighting and rejoicing and proud of her. And she hasn't done anything other than just exist. And, um, and I'm, and I'm totally delighting her and all, you know, you can't do that without the Holy Spirit being like, Hey, <laughs> that's you. That's how I feel about you. You're totally dependent before you do anything for me, before you perform, before you do any kind of ministry, before you Prove yourself. I love you and delight in you and am proud of you just because you're my kid. You're my son and my daughter. And I, I always wanted to, this, this was my urge and my instinct in that moment. Have you got, you know, the old movie, The Lion King, where there's like this opening scene and Simba is born and they bring out Simba and the whole, all the animals have gathered at the rock. 
holds up the baby like, da, 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 this is my son. And I was like, this is, it was our daughter, but I wanted to just take Shiloh, our firstborn, and just be like, yeah, everybody like, <laughs> rejoice. <laughs> and, uh, and, but God wants to do that with us. That's what he wants to do with each and every one of us is like hold us up and be like, this is my son. This is my daughter. I love them. I'm proud of them. And so, and, and the Bible all throughout scripture says that we are in Christ, that we are in Christ. And so just as the father spoke over Jesus, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He speaks over us that same delight and that same affirmation that we are his sons and daughters. We're accepted. We're loved. We're his. We belong to him. And so we need to have our identity. I, I believe one of the reasons people stop praying is because they have misunderstandings, number one, about who they're praying to, and number two, who we are. Because if we're, if we're feeling shame and condemnation, or we feel like God is angry with us, or we feel like we're not worthy, or any of that kind of stuff, it keeps us from Him. It keeps us, we begin to pull back and create distance rather than, rather than uh, draw near to Him. All right. Um, I'm just going to read these verses out of Romans 8. I don't have uh, a lot of time to talk about them, but I just I do want to just throw them out here. Um, oh, there's that one. <laughs> oh, this is a good one, too. I didn't mention this. It's when Jesus was baptized, before the Father spoke his affirmation, the Spirit descended on him like a dove. So the way God reveals his love to us is through the Holy Spirit. So it's the Spirit of God that reveals to our hearts the love of God and the revelation of the Father. Romans 5, 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So when we get saved, we receive the Spirit of God in our hearts, be baptized with the Holy Spirit, empowered by his Spirit, and continually filled with the Holy Spirit as we walk with the Lord and the Spirit of God in us and on us brings this revelation, this understanding to our hearts. So what I want to do when we wrap up here in a second is I want us to pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit in our hearts um, that he would reveal uh, himself to us as a father and our identity as his sons and daughters. Mm. Not sure where I'm pointing this. There we go. Thank you. So Romans 8, I just want to mention this uh, just want to make sure we, I read this out loud, too, on this point. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption. This is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's called the spirit of adoption. As sons, as by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we also may be glorified in him. So the spirit of God comes inside of us and is ringing out inside of us. If we will hear it, you are my child, you are my son, you are my daughter. And there's a longing. The Holy Spirit puts this longing in our hearts and we begin to cry out, Abba, Father, you are my God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And it's the spirit of God in us that keeps this, sets this identity into our hearts and reveals the heart of the Father to us. So I want to pray for that um, in just a moment. I want to in- encourage you, if there's certain things you're experiencing in your life, it could be an indication that it's been 
challenging for you to receive this. Um, if you're experiencing jealousy, if you're feeling the need to perform for others or for the Lord, if, if you're prone to competition, isolation, self-reliance, fear, insecurity, judgmentalism, suspicion, these are, these are indicators that there's fear and, and sort of a heart of an orphan or a slave in our hearts instead of heart of a son or a daughter. But we as Christians are sons and daughters of God. We didn't earn it, but he's given it by his grace, by his love. I'm going to end with this, 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Pray to our Father means it's about loving relationship. It requires inner healing, and it means that we're sons and daughters. You guys stand up. Let's pray for a few moments.